You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News for the week of December 1st, 2022. My name is Gregory Haddock. For today's reading, we will be covering the following stories. Words about LGBTQ plus community matter, say leaders across Denver area in wake of Club Q shooting by Colorado Community Media staff. Old Town Arvada celebrates holiday tree lighting. Myriad festivities took place in Arvada over the weekend by Riley Dunn for the Arvada Press. City planners hope to have Old Town Vision Plan designed by spring 2023 by Riley Dunn for the Arvada Press. Camp Christmas Lights Up Lakewood by Andrew Fraley for the Jeffco Transcript. Wheat Ridge Discusses 2023 Budget by Andrew Fraley for the Jeffco Transcript. Dignity Tuesday Returns donates 100 Thanksgiving meals to Golden Residents. Second annual event solidifies last year's vision by Corinne Westman. And following up with various articles. Leaders across Denver area respond to Club Q shooting by Colorado community media staff. In the wake of a deadly mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs, leaders in cities and counties to the north are among those denouncing hate and violence. From county commissioners to newly elected sheriffs to mayors and chiefs of police community, leaders say words of support for the LGBTQ plus community are needed now and should continue beyond the tragedy. Quote, clubs like Club Q are one of our safe places where we can be free and celebrate who we are. But clubs should not be the only place we feel safe, said Jessica Campbell Swanson, commissioner-elect for Arapahoe County. Campbell Swanson, who is bisexual, will be the first openly LGBTQ plus member of the board when she takes office. It is a milestone, she said, signals a desire by many to see a commission that mirrors the community. I want the LGBTQ plus community to know one of us is on the board of commissioners, reviewing policy, looking out for us, doing what I can to make Arapahoe County a healthy and safe place for our community to thrive, Campbell Swanson said. Five people died in the November 19th shooting, according to Colorado Springs Police. Another 17 were injured before the gunman rampage ended when he was subdued by bar patrons, including Richard Fierro, a retired U.S. Army officer who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, as reported by the New York Times. Police are holding Anderson Lee Aldrich, 22, who was facing murder and hate crime charges. Police also tweeted out photos of the five victims, Kelly Loving, she, her, Daniel Aston, he, him, Derek Rump, he, him, Ashley Paw, she, her, and Raymond Green Vance, he, him. Some family members issued statements to the press saying they were not interested in interviews at this time, including Kelly Loving's sister, Tiffany Loving. 
quote, my condolences go out to all the families who lost someone in this tragic event. And to everyone who struggled, struggling to be accepted in this world, Loving said in a statement, my sister was a good person. She was loving and caring and sweet. Everyone loved her. Kelly was a wonderful person. The family of Raymond Vance also issued a statement saying that he had never been to Club Q before he, before and went to see a, a show with his girlfriend, her parents, and her parents' friends to celebrate a birthday. Although Vance is supportive of the LGBTQ community, he is not a member of it. Raymond was kind, selfless young adult with his entire life ahead of him. The family statement read, his closest friend describes him as gifted, one of a kind, and willing to go out of his way to help anyone. He had just gotten a new job at a Colorado Springs FedEx distribution center and was thrilled to have received his first paycheck. He couldn't wait to save enough money to get his own apartment, but in the meantime, he lived with his mother and younger brother who adored him. Ashley Paw's husband, Kurt Paw, issued a statement. She had a huge heart. I know that Ashley cared about so many people. She helped so many people through her work at Kids Crossing, a nonprofit that helps find loving homes for foster children. She would do anything for the kids, traveling all over southeastern Colorado from Pueblo and Colorado Springs to Fremont County and the Colorado border, working to raise awareness and encourage individuals and families to become foster parents to children in our community. This included working with the LGBTQ plus community to find welcoming foster placements for children during the holidays. During the holidays, Ashley organized giving trees and delivered them to businesses so that foster kids could have brighter holidays. And in fact, she was setting up giving trees even last week, canvassing Pueblo and Colorado Springs. Kurt Paw called Ashley Paw his high school sweetheart and an amazing mother. Her daughter was her whole world, and she was so proud of Riley, who was a championship swimmer, Pa wrote. About 55 miles north of Colorado Springs, the president of the Chamber of Commerce in the town of Parker was flooded with emotion when thinking of events over the weekend. These places are critical as safe spaces for a historically marginalized community, and it's hard to be reminded of how vulnerable they are to hate and violence, said Parker Chamber of Commerce President T.J. Sullivan, who is openly gay. Sullivan recalled the 2016 shooting at Pulse nightclub in Orlando and said that bars like it are places to feel safe. They've played a role for so many of us, Sullivan said. There are many LGBTQ plus individuals here and countless members, countless families with an LGBTQ plus member. It's so important that we elect leaders who are vocal, that this is a safe place for everyone. If you have a loved one who is part of the LGBTQ plus community, give them a hug. We spend a lot of time worrying about our safety, the support of our family members, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. An affirming word will go a long way this week. Sullivan noted that sometimes officials have used rhetoric that can be hurtful to the LGBTQ plus community. Also listening to the rhetoric is the mayor of Littleton, about 66 miles north of Colorado Springs. 
Mayor Kyle Schlachter called the shooting, quote, another unconscionable act in Colorado and pointed the finger at homophobic and transphobic remarks from national and statewide officials. Elected officials especially should understand that words matter and words have impact, Schlachter said. We can't try to have this plausible deniability of an official. They have to realize people do in do act in response to their words. Roger Hudson, Deputy Chief of Staff with Colorado's House of Republicans and also a member of the Castle Pines City Council, said in a statement to Colorado Community Media that, quote, This violent attack is made even more personal because I am gay. I'm a gay man with several dear trans friends and a close family member who is currently undergoing her transition. These feelings of fear and the absence of community are all too real for some members of the LGBTQ plus community, Hudson said. I wished I could say these fears were unfounded, but we all know that is not true. Hudson, a former reporter who has covered mass shootings, including Columbine, was in Egypt en route to Israel when he heard the news on the BBC. He said he has pondered what to say publicly about the incident, but has, quote, no special wisdom to heal this terrible wound we all feel. I will, however, recommit to making myself seen as a gay man, elected in Douglas County as a fiscally conservative Republican who believes fully in the rights of all our citizens to lead their own lives with limited government intrusion and safe communities for all our residents, Hudson added. State Representative Brianna Titone, Democrat of Arvada, echoed that sentiment in a tweet after the shooting. When politicians and pundits keep perpetuating tropes, insults, and misinformation about the trans and LGBTQ plus community, this is a result, she tweeted. I am angry, and my heart breaks for those who lost their lives. In a statement to Colorado Community Media, Titone added, quote, The community is devastated by this attack. But we need to know that, as a community, we need to be resilient, as we have always been. The fact that retired Army Major Richard Fierro took his safety into his own hands to confront the gunman is a testament to our resilience and those who are allies for us. We need to stop the rhetoric and the damaging language directed at the LGBTQ plus community and stand up to it. We need everyone to call it out and show that we won't tolerate this. The LGBTQ plus community deserves to be left to live our lives in peace, free of harassment and the threat of violence. End quote. Political scientists and activists have tracked a rise in anti-trans and anti-gay statements and threats in Colorado and across the country that can spark violence against those communities. The Colorado Sun has reported Schlachter said he's seen it, quote, everywhere since the 2016 presidential election when it seemed that there were no boundaries of what was decent anymore, end quote. Robert Dorsheimer, CEO of Mile High Behavioral Healthcare, has also tracked the indecency. Quote, I am frankly shocked and saddened to wake up again, yet again, to horrible news and more traumatic news of a hateful act of violence against the rainbow community I'm a proud member of, 
Dorsheimer said. Located in the city of Sheridan, southwest of Denver, the healthcare organization offers care and services to high-risk, high-need individuals, many of them in the transgender community. No community should ever have to endure this horrible act of violence. We are once again saying, thoughts and prayers? Really? Dorsheimer added. Chase Janis, a member of North Glen's Diversity, Inclusivity, and Social Equity Board, who is queer and trans non-binary, said it was heartbreaking to see the LGBTQ plus community attacked in place made for people to feel safe. Janice echoed the words of author Dan Savage. Our community was once so used to violence against us that these clubs bars were one of our only places of sanctuary, Janice said. When those were raided, the members of the community took to the streets instead, despite their fears. Janice recalled the Stonewall riots, quote, where members of our community were attacked and how they responded by getting louder and being prouder and championing our safety. So we continue that legacy by refusing to be silenced and by refusing to stop being who we are, even in the face of hatred, Janice said. We are here, and we are queer, and we are not going anywhere. Even in my grief, it makes me so proud to be a part of this community. Golden Police Chief Joe Harvey said the tragedy had a significant impact on members of his staff who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. I know for those folks in my organization who live that, that it strikes home for them deeply, Harvey said. They know that any time they could be a person who could be a victim of this type of rage and hatred. In Douglas County, Sheriff-elect Darren Weekly called the shooting, quote, a horrific event and said that violence should not be tolerated in our society. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office tweeted that its department was, quote, deeply saddened by the senseless shooting. City of Fort Lupton Chief of Police John Fryer said the shooting at Club Q was, quote, one of those very regretful things and that his department is shocked by the violence that occurred there. He also said he was worried about the potential motivation for the shooting. In Inglewood, the city council meeting began with a moment of silence for the victims of Club Q shooting. David Lewis, who chairs the city's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, gave an emotional statement at the November 21st meeting. Quote, an attack like this doesn't just impact those at the epicenter, Lewis said. This hits home for everyone in the LGBTQ plus community. It strikes fear in the hearts of siblings, parents, colleagues, friends, and loved ones. Lewis added that the city will defend the LGBTQ plus community. There's nothing that I can say that tonight that will diminish the pain of prejudice and violence, but on behalf of the DEI committee, I can't say this. The city of Inglewood stands with you, and we adamantly reject bigotry, hate, and violence against the LGBTQ plus community, Lewis said. The DEI committee is made up of 19 team members from city departments, Lewis said. Chris Hargath, 
The city's director of communication said in an email the committee is currently formulating a roadmap with measurable goals related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The city of Centennial's council meeting had a similar tone, with Mayor Stephanie Pico expressing words of support for the Colorado Springs community. It's heartbreaking when any tragedy occurs in any community, and we know what that's like. Pico said, referring to the 2013 shooting at Arapahoe High School in Centennial. Just want Colorado Springs to know that our thoughts and prayers are with them and hope that their community can heal. Councilmember Marlo Alston added, quote, I not only will be thinking about the community of Colorado springs and praying for them but having conversations with leadership in various areas regarding this particular incident allison Wittern, the city's communication director noted that centennial recently adopted a value statement in centennial we value kindness integrity and diversity in order to build a strong unified and inclusive community in which all citizens feel welcome and safe Wittern said via email in Centennial, we value protecting the community's physical and emotional well-being. The city of Centennial is committed to upholding, demonstrating, and living these values and takes pride in this statement. This statement is echoed yearly in strategic planning processes. Lone Tree Mayor Jackie Millett was, quote, sickened to learn of the senseless, horrific shooting. The city of Lone Tree extends our deepest sympathy and heartfelt support to the LGBTQ plus and Colorado Springs communities, Millett said in a statement to Colorado Community Media. I know the Lone Tree community will join me in keeping the victims, their families, and the community around Club Q in our thoughts and prayers. We are very grateful for the actions of the heroes who intervened to prevent the gunmen from taking more innocent lives and appreciate the efforts of the first responders who continue to be stalwarts of support and protection in our communities. Newly elected State Representative Bob Marshall, who represents the Highlands Ranch area in House District 43, said such statements are important to supporting everyone in the community. Quote, there's no doubt that rhetoric increases heat and for the fringe one-tenth of one percent out there. It gives them license in their heads to do things that normal people wouldn't, he said, adding he wouldn't call out that kind of language from colleagues, adding that he would call out that kind of language from colleagues as a legislator. In a Twitter post, Marshall called the Club Q shooting, quote, a targeted hit. That shows the importance of defending equal human rights for the LGBTQ plus community. The issue of support has come up in his community recently. Earlier this year, he defended a drag show event at a Highlands Ranch Recreation Center amid protests that claimed it was inappropriate because families used the facility. Marshall said the event didn't cause harm and noted a variety of 21 and up events including alcohol tastings that hadn't received the same outcry. He reiterated those thoughts on Monday to Colorado Community Media. Marshall said he feels the laws already protect LGBTQ community, but also added he would defend Colorado's current discrimination laws from any future potential changes. 
This story was co-reported by Colorado Community Media's Robert Tan, Haley Lena, Nina Joss, McKenna Harford, Taylor Shaw, Riley Dunn, and Luke Zarzecki. Dignity Tuesday returns, donates 100 Thanksgiving meals to Golden Residents. Second annual event solidifies last year's vision by Corinne Westerman. Like starting a trip down the sledding hill, Dignity Tuesday is gaining momentum to become a golden holiday tradition. On November 22nd, the second annual event provided 100 Thanksgiving meals and Christmas trees to golden area households experiencing need during the holiday season. Organizer Chuck Lontine said about 25 local nonprofits and businesses donated a literal ton of food. Turkeys, hams, bread, produce, pies, water, and more. Be golden provided space outside its food pantry at New Hope Community Church, and about 50 volunteers spent hours assembling all the supplies for pickup on November 22nd. Finally, Golden-based Kitchen One for One provided tacos for clients and volunteers, which Lontine said was a last-minute and prov providential addition to the Dignity Tuesday team. Golden's Brittany Mercier thought the taco truck was a great idea and was offering ham as an alternative to turkey. She appreciated everyone who donated and helped organize the event. Mercier, who frequents the Be Golden Food Pantry, was planning to celebrate Thanksgiving with her husband and their three-month-old son. So receiving a free meal from Dignity Tuesday event was a big help for her family. Lantine, who owns Golden's 96.9 The Cloud, felt the turn... felt the... Turkeys and ham would be an extra boon for some households. The meat can make a variety of meals to help while school lunch programs are on hiatus. It's the gift that keeps on giving, he continued. Lontine spearheaded the inaugural event in 2021, and many of last year's partners returned to help this November. Lontine and B. Golden Executive Director Kevin Andrzejewski, Andrzejewski, hoped to see Dignity Tuesday continue next year and beyond, so it becomes a holiday staple for Golden. It's an opportunity for the entire community, Andre Shujiski said of the event. Volunteers Rosemary de Hoyos from Ramos Law and Maria Ramirez from Golden Sunflower Bank both appreciated the opportunity to help and be part of the community. Ramirez commented how, because it's the giving season, she hoped Dignity Tuesday would not only continue to grow, would not only continue to, but grow and inspire similar events. It's a blessing for people in need and those who sponsored it, De Hoyos said. It's big that they want to give and be involved even in the smallest things. BizBeat, Colorado Railroad Museum, offers Holiday Ride for True Believers by Corinne Westerman. 
The beloved holiday tale has come to life as the Polar Express is now at the Colorado Railroad Museum. The immersive two-hour experience takes passengers on a journey from Golden to the North Pole and back. Passengers hear all about the lore of the Polar Express, including famous hot chocolate and the ghost that haunts the train cars. True believers also have an opportunity to meet Mr. C, better known as Santa Claus, and see his North Pole dwelling with their own eyes. The Polar Express will be at the Colorado Railroad Museum through December 23rd, but tickets are sold out. Some cancellation tickets may be available. For more information, visit coloradorailroadmuseum.org. Kickstarter campaign to help launch local company. For anyone who's bought candy bars to support a local school, a golden-based startup believes there's a better way. EDU Raising wants to disrupt school's, quote, cookie dough fundraiser model. Co-founder Jax Baker explained to that end, the company has launched a Kickstarter campaign for $97,000 to get up and running. Baker and co-founder Stephen Taylor believe the traditional fundraising model for schools has been a disaster for decades. Baker described how unmotivated students sell overpriced, unwanted, and usually unhealthy products. As an alternative, Baker and Taylor envision an online educational tool that leverages the Internet's efficiency and students' enthusiasm to create something of value in exchange for donations. Baker gave an example. A high school band needs to fundraise for a trip. The band teacher would create an EDU raising campaign and host a digital performance to share with potential donors. The campaign would keep 90% of funds raised versus 42% under the cookie dough model. Baker explained, and the students are running their own business by creating something curriculum related in exchange for donations. There'd be other advantages to this model versus selling physical products. EDU raising would have less overhead, less environmental cost, and more impact for those who are fundraising, he described. Plus, EDU raising would work for Scouts, 4-H, and other organizations. Everybody but the cookie dough companies is winning big, Baker continued. He and Taylor have a team in San Diego ready to start building EDU raising, but the company needs financial backing first. As of November 23rd, about a dozen backers had donated $3,500 to the Kickstarter campaign. It runs through January 6th. Baker and Taylor are also looking for local schools that use the cookie dough model that that would be willing to test EDU raising. For more information, visit kickstarter.com slash projects slash EDU raising slash EDU raising dash the dash online dash platform dash forward dash educational dash fundraising. Local landscape company receives statewide award. Golden-based Arrowhead Landscape Services is among the elite in Colorado. The company was recently recognized as the 2022 Elite Awards, hosted by a statewide industry or organization. The Associated Landscape Contractors of Colorado awarded Arrowhead the Bronze Elite Award for commercial landscape maintenance for its work at Mount Olivet Catholic Cemetery. 
The 2022 awards, an annual event for more than 50 years, recognized winners in nine different categories across ranging from commercial and residential maintenance to sustainability, according to an ALCC press release. Awards criteria included professionalism, excellence in innovation. Arrowhead has maintained the Wheat Ridge Cemetery for the past two years and is responsible for mowing, weeding, pruning, and other seasonal care across more than 200 acres. The cemetery is heavily visited, and Arrowhead crews work to preserve memorial items placed near gravestones and to be respectful of internment services. For more information about Arrowhead Landscape Services, call 303-432-8282. Camp Christmas Lights Up Lakewood by Andrew Fraley. Candy. That is what Alice Chew's favorite part about her first time visiting Lakewood's camp Christmas at Heritage Lakewood Belmar Park was. Not Santa Claus ready to hear Christmas her wishes, not Hin Hand the flaming metal owl sculpture, and not the shimmering lights scattered amongst the trees and decorating buildings. To come and decorate in this living museum is kind of trippy, said Lonnie Hansen, the creator of Camp Christmas. He's commenting on how his outlines and schematics for what a physical camp Christmas would look like fit the park perfectly. But also, how no nails or screws were used because the park is filled with historic buildings, being part history park, part museum. Four years old in total, Camp Christmas has only been brought into reality the last two years, previously living through his imagination and, more recently, shipped gift boxes, according to Hansen. Now, through the 42 years that Lakewood has been hosting Christmas events of some kind, the city has collected some giant decorations that fit right in. It's like collecting Christmas decorations, but in a really big way, Hansen joked. Omar Chio of Lakewood, Alice's father, said it was their first time at the event, but they were enjoying it. Overall, it's kind of whimsical, said Laura Chu, Alice's mother. Besides candy, the area has caramel popcorn, three bars, a carefully decorated living room in one of the historic buildings, and a pun-telling snowman. With much to explore, Hansen said Camp Christmas had 66,000 visitors last year, and he's expecting the same for this year. Camp Christmas is open 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., November 17th to December 24th. Wee Ridge discusses 2023 budget by Andrew Fraley. Starting 2023 with $48.4 million, Wee Ridge is estimated to bring in 70, 78 point one million dollars across all of its funding spending about ninety two point five million dollars according to the city's 2023 estimated budget representing the most budget expenditure is the capital improvement program which covers projects like the improved wadsworth project street maintenance and bike lane improvements 29 percent of the total budget 
with the police department coming in second at about 17% of the total budget. The council and staff reviewed the budget in a study session November 21st, planning to have a final public hearing and adopting the budget on November 28th. According to city manager Patrick Goff, the 2023 budget cautiously projects an optimistic view for the city in the near term. He said in the study session that revenues are projected to still increase, but at a slower pace than the recent past, with inflation increasing goods and labor costs. Some uncertainty does exist concerning the future of the economy, he continued. However, I believe Wheat Ridge has built a strong foundation, and we will continue to remain resilient against future challenges. The total budget is split into various categories, with the general fund taking up the most of the budget at 51%. The fund breaks down into further categories, including the police, at 30%. Costing about $14 million, the police budget's largest expense is salaries, and mainly for patrolmen, taking up about $6.3 million. In total, the police's budget increased by about $2.2 million versus the estimated budget of 2022. The biggest increase within the department was for patrol operations, which with an extra $700,000, the bulk of which was added to personnel services or salaries. According to Wheat Ridge Police Chief Chris Murtha, during the study session, other cost increases, including the department asking for a, a new e-citation system. Murtha described it as being nearly contactless citations allowing officers to write them from their car while using data from the car's license plate. He also references changing interview room recording systems to the same system used on their body cameras and more funding for sending officers to training opportunities. The greatest budget cost is for infrastructure, which the projects under the CIP fund consist of. $20.9 million dollars is the largest expense within the fund and meant to finalize the first phase of the Improve Wadsworth project and to start the second phase. Second is $3 million for annual street preventative maintenance. Other Other projects include a city's neighborhood traffic management program, general citywide ADA infrastructure improvements, and city hall improvements like better security. Goff elaborated on several fiscal challenges in the study session, including funding for Phase 2 of the Wadsworth project being significantly higher than expected. Hiring and retention and homelessness. Funding for issues related to homelessness mainly falls under the Homeless Navigation Program, where costs come out of the general fund. For 2023, $245,000. $245,000. Four dollars was proposed for the budget. The largest expense being about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the salaries of Rebecca Radebach, the homeless navigator, and Corey Kohler, the housing navigator. In addition to salaries, is about eighty-eight thousand dollars in operational costs that include moving kits and security deposits to assist in people moving into housing. According to Radebach. Since the creation of the program in December of 2020, they have about 42 people in permanent housing and 17 into transitional housing. 
This includes emergency shelter, temporary housing like a rehousing program, staying with family and friends, motel, substance use facility, or jail. Goff also referenced inflation as a fiscal issue, seeing it reflected in expenditures and the possibility of a recession in the near future. For that, he said they were keeping an eye on it and should continue to be frugal with their finances. Wheat Ridge is in a good place, said Goff. Lakewood Grant may help save utility money for low-income households. By Andrew Fraley. Winter is among us. Temperatures are dropping below freezing every night across the entire metro area, and heating bills will rise again. But Lakewood has partnered with a group that if a family or house's income qualifies, could help save money on all utilities. That group is Mile High Youth Corps, which does free energy and water audits for low-income households. Core members will assess a home and replace inefficient light bulbs, aerators, and kitchen and bathroom sinks and shower heads immediately, making a difference that same day. Core members are going into homes and replacing and working hand-in-hand -hand with the residents to sort of educate them on basic understandings of sustainability in their home, said Jeslin Shahrezahi. The Lakewood City Councilor and Chief Development and Communications Officer for Mile High Youth Corps. Members are 18 to 24 young adults that want to expand their experience with green jobs, she explained. They will have total training here in everything from toilet installation to climate education, she said. A lot of those members, like Christian Giles, who recently graduated from the University of Denver studying as environmental science, see it as a way to give back to his community at the same time as helping the environment. You can actually make a difference in people's lives while you're helping to reduce some of those negative effects of these issues we're facing with our environments, like sustainability and conservation, Giles said. These assessments coming about a week after setting up an appointment, according to Charazé, take only about 30 to 40 minutes, Giles said. Core members replace inefficient light bulbs, aerators in the kitchen and bathroom sinks and shower heads immediately, possibly coming back again to replace an inefficient toilet or a mercury thermostat. You can just see how grateful they are, just for something as simple as some light bulbs, and they know it will save them money, he said. They also check the efficiency of toilets and thermostats, which may take another day's appointment to change out and educate on best principles for sustainability and saving money, like how best to use a programmable thermostat. Charizé said the income qualification is comparable to SNAP. If a household qualifies for one, they will for the other. She also referenced Colorado's Low Income Energy Assistance Program, or LEAP, which assists with winter heating costs. Enrollment started November 1st, and she said income qualifications are also similar. The City Council approved direct funding for the program for the first time over the summer, 
previously working with the core before, but never directly putting money aside, according to Charazay. It was part of the city's community development block grant program, with the funding starting this fall. Everybody we're working with, you can tell they really care about what they're doing, and I think that's what really drives it home for me, Giles said. Knowing that you're also working with a bunch of people that care about as much that care as much about the job as you do. They're not just there for the check. Appointments can be scheduled on the Mile High Youth Corps website. Several juveniles charged for Lakewood light rail attack. By Andrew Frilly. Seven juveniles aged 15 to 17 have been charged with second-degree assaults for allegedly attacking a man on the RTD light rail, according to a statement by the district attorney's office. On October 14th, the 45-year-old man told police that the teens pushed him out of the train at West 13th Avenue and Garrison Street Station. Lakewood police responded, and the man was brought to St. Anthony's Hospital and suffered serious bodily injury according to the statement. The teens were arrested on November 11th and in court three days later with orders to remain in custody without bond, according to the statement. On November 17th, the teens were charged with second-degree assault. An eighth teen was arrested on November 15th in connection to the assault and similarly held without bond. Charges for that juvenile are expected on November 21st, the statement said. Mount Evans, name change to Mount Blue Sky, moves to governor's office for final approval by Olivia Jewell Love. The Colorado Geographic Naming Advisory Board moved to make an official recommendation to Colorado Governor Jared Polis to change the name of Mount Evans to Mount Blue Sky. The unanimous decision by the board came during the November 17th meeting where all suggested names were considered. The suggested names included Mount Sol, Mount Rosalie, Mount Sisti, Mount Cheyenne Arapaho, and Mount Evans, rededicated. The end of the meeting was reserved for public comment where Colorado residents, tribal members, and others could voice opinions about the name change. Andrea Valeska is right, part of Right Relationship Boulder, a group focused on forming relationships with the indigenous community that are rooted in justice and collaboration. She explained during public comment that naming parts of nature for human beings is against indigenous values. To name Mother Nature after a person, independent of what this person did, is very disrespectful for indigenous people, Valeska said. Fred Mosqueda of the Southern Arapaho tribes came up with the name Mount Blue Sky, along with Chester Whiteman of the Southern Cheyenne tribes. They, the name they chose is universally inclusive, but has meaning to indigenous people. It means so much as a ceremony to the Cheyennes, Mosqueda said. Whiteman explained at the meeting that some of the details that go into a, mount, into a blue sky ceremony for the Cheyenne tribes. Quote, the blue sky ceremony is a ceremony for all living things, men, women, children, plants, earth, water, life, 
And when that gets made, anybody can go to that teepee and get a blessing from the article that's made. Whiteman explained. After hearing from parties and involved in the name-changing process of the mountain, the consensus was that each minute it went without a new name, the mountain would continue to provide a hurtful reminder to native Coloradans about the Sand Creek Massacre. Board members decided against any further delay and voted in favor of the name Mount Blue Sky. Randy Wheelock is a Clear Creek County Commissioner who has been involved in the name change process since it began since it began two years ago. Members of the county have worked closely with Native American tribes to properly educate themselves on why a name change is in order. Wheelock explained that the process has not been hasty and has been especially long for those who are hurt by the current name. We went through this two-year process, but that's nothing compared to the 158 years that have passed since the Governor, Aaron's, Governor Evans' proclamations of 1864 and the massacre, Wheelock said. Waleska pointed out the history happening by including indigenous people in the decision and thought this could be a step toward reparations. History is happening. Because indigenous people are having a voice, and indigenous people are having an opportunity to share what is important for them, Valeska said. And as a form of reparation of the massacre that happened in this land, I think it is a beautiful step toward rights relationship and toward healing for all of us. Local Voices Public Land, A True Blessing Riders on the Range by Dave Marson At every Thanksgiving dinner, my family asks everyone around the table to say what they're grateful for. It puts new guests on the spot, so sometimes they just thank the hosts, an easy out that makes it harder for anyone else struggling for a good answer. I've been in that position, but this year I know what I'm grateful for. That's because after years away, I'm back in the West, living in Western Colorado, near millions of acres of public land. If the love of wide open spaces defines a Westerner, then our region gives us lots to love. Alaska, which is 95.8% public land, may be king among all states with so much wide open space available to everyone, but Nevada is close behind at 87.8, and Utah is next at 75.2%. Idaho ranks third at 70.4%, and Colorado has 43.3%, with most of that land west of the Continental Divide. Until moving back west, I hadn't thought about public land being vital for anything as basic as cutting firewood. Yet in most states without much accessible land, firewood is an expensive proposition. Here, from May through October in Colorado, it's ours for the permit which costs about $4 to $10 for a cord of wood. That's enough to fill a full-size pickup, a bed full four feet high. How much do you need? I'm told three cords add up to, quote, just getting by in Montana or Wyoming. But true winter wealth is more like six cords. While you're gathering wood, you can also scout for a Christmas tree. That requires just an $8 permit. 
a world away from pricey conifers grown on a tree farm. Writer Dave Stiller's firewood gathering advice is to take blowdowns or the slash piles left by logging companies. Once you've finished gathering, according to the Forest Service, quote, revisit and monitor the effects of your harvest. Become a steward of the place as you study the plants and how they respond. In other words, think like an owner who cares about the land over the long haul. Patrick Hunter, a sustainability studies student at Colorado Mountain Community College in Carbondale, thinks our public lands embody a generational legacy. That's become a cornerstone of our democracy. From young to old, the diehard fans of public lands are volunteers from nonprofits who adopt a trail, constructing and advocating for them. Political cartoonist Rob Pudim tells of hiking a trail he'd worked on for several summers and feeling an onrush of possessiveness. I own this land, he recalls thinking. In a way, he's right. We do own this land, though it is managed, even if we rarely see a ranger, by federal agencies. No one knows how many people have gone to public land with one solemn purpose, to throw ashes of their dead into a stream or launch them into the air from a mountaintop, a practice that's allowable in most western states, national forests. It forever connects someone to that particular place outdoors. And for a lot of us, the best of life can be what happens during a summer of camping, mushroom hunting, fishing, wildlife watching, or just getting out there. Some hunters also become advocates for wildlife and public lands, championing public access. Still, the damage we've done to public lands in the West is visible and remains. Mining, drilling, dam building, nuclear bomb testing, nu dumping nuclear waste piles along rivers and other sensitive places. Because of that legacy, the Superfund program, finally established in 1980, aims to restore these lands, some so altered that no real fix is possible. Public land also serves as a link to modern history. Throughout the West, we can still see the architectural marvels built by indigenous peoples hundreds of years ago. And ghost towns that were once small cities continue to fascinate us as we think about the economic jolt that triggered their abandonment. Today, we're experiencing a similar jolt as increasing artity alters how the West works, or don't doesn't work. Meanwhile, as we struggle to figure out what we've got to do to adapt, at least I know what I'll say this Thanksgiving, I am forever grateful to the public land that gives us room to breathe. Dave Marson is a publisher of Writers on the Range, writersontherange.org. He, an independent nonprofit dedicated to lively discussion about the West. He lives with his family in Durango, Colorado. Living my own version of It's a Wonderful Life, Joe Webb, columnist. The movie. It's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart and Donna Reed gets shown frequently this time of year. It is ultimately a story of gratitude and hope that is timely during the holiday season. A desperate owner of a bankrupt savings and loan, Stewart, 
is facing ruin and becomes suicidal because of his troubles. What Stewart finds out ultimately is what his life mattered and his well-being was important to a number of others. 2022 was a difficult year for me personally. My mother passed away after a short battle with rapid progress dementia. And almost immediately afterward, I was diagnosed with kidney stones and renal cancer. It was almost five-month battle to get well, but I was pronounced cancer-free in July, with a minimal chance for the tumor to return. I am blessed. I'm also blessed because during the cancer battle and after I was pronounced cancer-free, I've been living my own version of It's a Wonderful Life. The difference is that I am not despondent or feeling quite hopeless, far from it. What I am discovering is that my life matters to others and it matters to a degree that I did not appreciate before 2022. What has happened is that most frequently I will get a phone call from someone asking if I am all right and doing okay health-wise. When I tell them I am, there's an audible sigh of relief that I hear on my end of the phone. I have to tell individuals specifically that I am well and that I will inform them if I am not well. Once an elderly female relative called me crying and imploring me not to die before she did. I calmed her down and promised her that I would attend her funeral mourning her instead of the other way around. When I was sick, many offered to help drive me to doctor's appointments. Others wanted to fly out to Denver to assist me. I am grateful and blessed for all those offers. I realize that what I have just conveyed is a little bit maudlin and Hollywood-like, but put yourself in my position. How can you not be grateful and smile that your friends and acquaintances are worried about you even when they have no reason to be? It makes you stop and think about things. They've shown me what my impact on the life of others has been. This small writing is my way of saying thank you to them. Dear reader, if these circumstances are part of my life, I am willing to bet that if serious illness became part of your life, that you would have those who care about you reach out as well. I would prefer to put my illness in the rearview mirror, but focusing on it one more time serves a purpose. If there is a chance that someone you know is suffering from a serious illness, reach out to them like others have with me. Let them know that in this big human family, that they are a valued part of it. If you are on the receiving end of such concern, acknowledge it gracefully with regard to the concerns that others have about you. In this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, if more of that concern were shown, it would be something to celebrate. Joe Webb is a former chairman of the Jeffco Republican Party. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News. My name is Gregory Haddock. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.